Welcome to Mindset, Mood and Movement, a systemic approach to human behavior, performance and well-being. Our psychological, emotional and physical health are all connected. And my guests and I endeavor to share knowledge, strategies and tools for you to enrich your life and work. Hello and welcome to today's episode with me, Sal, and I'm joined by Dr. Ed Caddy. And Dr. Ed is both an NHS doctor and a doctor in health optimization. So I'm really excited to talk to Ed. I know I've known Ed for a good while uh, and he straddles many fields around health and human performance. So it should be a really interesting conversation. And we wanted to cover the distinction between illness medicine versus health medicine and sort of flesh that out and talk that through a lot. And really to the leaning towards health optimization, what that is and how we can do it. So welcome, Dr. Ed. Nice to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's always nice to be on a, a new podcast with new listeners and with somebody that I've, I've known for a while is even better. But, uh... Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So a little context for, for, for our listeners. Uh, I've trained with Ed for a good number of years. And when we say training, we're talking about the physical movement training that's applied to both the physical structure of the body, you know, health, strength, performance, uh, but also how that expresses uh, as a person. And as we get in, we'll, we'll, we'll expand on that more. Ed, I'd love to kind of go a little bit deeper into the roots of you. Like, how did you come about? How did you get into the field of medicine, which of course is the, the one field of the NHS? And, and then how did that take you to health optimization. Perhaps you can expand on that journey a little bit. Yes, it's a, a fairly long journey, but it started with, I think, parents who are both nurse and engineer, and that kind of fused together with a history of doctors in the family, but I wasn't too sure kind of early on in my educational career. And actually, I used to go to the gym when I was 14, 15, 16, uh, and ventured onto the ketogenic diet. And I had this experience where I was, I wasn't overweight, but I was, I would say I was over fat as a child. And within 10 weeks, I almost like clockwork was able to lose 20 pounds of fat. And the question that came to me in hindsight was, well, if I can do this so easily, why isn't everybody doing this? And why is being overweight even an issue? So I, I went from just being interested in the gym and nutrition and, and training to, well, how can I understand that better? And that took me onto the path of studying a biochemistry degree. So I did four years of biochemistry in bar, and I kept that kind of sphere of influence from physical training, from nutrition. Got into cancer biology, published in the cancer pathways, looked at amino acid sensing because they linked cancer and ideas in nutrition and training. And then finished my biochemistry and thought I'd quite like to apply this knowledge to humans as opposed to Petri dishes. So I spent a year working in a special needs school after that, which really exposed me to the extremes of human behaviors, which was fascinating. And after that, managed to get into medical school. So again, I went away and studied for five years in Belfast and, and, uh, and during my time there became very conscious that there were still gaps in the field of what we call allopathic medicine or conventional medicine, the, the Western medical model. I saw patients uh, in hospital that kept coming back with the same problem. They ended up on more and more medications. They had problems that I thought from a biochemical perspective 
would be easy to solve. And yet that wasn't the approach that we were taking in, in conventional medicine. So as I went through my medical studies, I started learning and branching out into different fields and essentially took an integrative holistic approach and never had a closed mind when it came to any particular field and tried to come up with a holistic model. I eventually found what we what I now know as health optimization medicine, which was pioneered by Dr. Ted Achacoso, who has an IQ of 210. So he's a fascinating doctor and polymath, essentially. And I come to where I am today. So I, I finished medical school. I went through my junior doctor training, uh, some psychiatry training, and now I'm doing a PhD in neuroscience and metabolic psychiatry and on the side work with clients in my health optimization medicine practice. So hopefully that's a whistle-stop tour of how I got here and what that is. That, that's, that's definitely a whistle-stop tour in uh, many years of study and um, input. So thank you. And really interesting to hear if we are not perhaps from the medical field and don't know, you know what a doctor does, what that, what that journey looks like. Uh, what the purpose behind it as well, what that experience for a person. It's really great to hear that. I'm really intrigued uh, personally and also from the, from the space that I work in with human performance and human behavior in a similar field in looking at holism and holistic can, it's sometimes got a bad rap as a word and we have to be careful with language because we associate language to certain things. But the, the true meaning, the etymology of the word health is actually whole. And it's also connected to holy, but whole is the old English word and I think Germanic word, and it means whole. And if we look at any system, you know, any system from the human system to a uh, working system to bio nature and biology, systems work well when they are whole, integrated, and functioning. And of course, if we are not whole, if we're not working well, we get problems. And in the regular world, that looks like anxiety, that looks like stress, that looks like chronic disease, that looks like sleep problems. And it translates into these behaviors. But of course, what's under the surface is what I know you're interested in and what I'm interested in. We come at it from different angles, but it's such a crossover to look at a complete system as opposed to a fragmented or specialized approach, which seems to me that the allopathic approach takes. Now, I'm really curious about the perhaps the, uh, the rub that might be between these forces. Like you're in one area, allopathic, and then you're in this health optimization, which is whole. How are you navigating that for yourself as a professional and as a human that there is this paradox, there are specialisms, and yet there's kind of a holistic approach. How are you navigating this? Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. Firstly, I will say it's become less of a challenge over time as I've got more confident. It's a, actually a, a, something that I learned from Dr. Ted is this concept where in the Western world, if you ask I think you ask children to describe a picture and they'll say, oh, there's three fish. And then you ask somebody from kind of the Eastern backing, maybe Japan, what do they see? And they describe the fishbowl, the water, the color of the water, the color of the fish, the background of the fishbowl. And it's really the difference between the two is seeing the, 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 the background versus just focusing on the foreground. And I think over time, that's what's happened to the conventional medical system. And the, the, what I see my, my role as when I'm working in the conventional medical system is to try and open people up to the background. And when you have a fairly strong and rigorous scientific backing to it, it makes it easier because you can ask people questions that they shouldn't potentially know the answers to, but they, they don't. And the other way is to have very clear definitions and boundaries, but also to see where the two 
approaches can can marry together. So our definition of health, because it's we, we feel that it's measurable, is that uh, health is as easy as A plus B plus C. So A being the absence of disease, B being the balance of anabolic and catabolic processes in the body, which are processes that build things up and processes that break things down. And then C being depending on the life cycle of the individual. So illness medicine, from my perspective, deals with the absence of disease. And health optimization medicine deals with that balance of processes in the body, which we call metabolism, depending on the life cycle of the individual. Yeah. So I try and straddle all, all parts of the equation at all times if I can. Nice. Yes. It's, it's interesting isn't it? if we dare to straddle the field, especially uh, someone like yourself who's gone deep and a lot of scientific knowledge. I know, I know you are incredibly knowledgeable about so many facts. And then, of course, the, we have the culture that we, we, we swim in, as they say, and that culture can push against our belief system, our modality. It doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's wrong, but it can push against us and kind of contain us. And one of the conversations that's interesting to me, I describe the human system as an ecosystem. It's a language and a description that we're very uh, aware of because of the current ecological crisis and, and so forth. But when we think of it, if you, I don't, I've never met a person that doesn't have thinking or feeling or some form of physical experience in their body. You can't have a human that doesn't have one of those. It always, even if they don't have much, they'll have some. So if we don't treat it in a systemic overlapping process, we start to miss the whole aspect. And this is what I've seen when I work with people in a psychological realm. Someone comes in with a problem. Let's say they're stressed at work or stressed around their business. But that expresses in a physical domain. They might not be sleeping well. They may be physically weaker. Their body may not function that well. Uh, and then their breath patterns might be all over the place. So I might ask someone, how are you breathing? And they're like, look, you know, I'm, I'm here for coaching for psychology. I'm like, yes, but the way you're breathing is predicating your body into a stress response and you have a, quote, stress problem. So let's consider the physical and the breath work as well as the psychological. For a listener who might be thinking, well, this is all very interesting. Like, okay, tell me more. When we talk about illness, I mean, we need to distinguish, right, between the difference between going to A&E if you've broke your leg, you know, in, a, in an accident or there's a, a virus, COVID, of course, versus the big ones, cardiovascular illness, autoimmune conditions, metabolic conditions like diabetes, those sorts of things. So can we distinguish between the two? Like how does, uh, how do we look at it from an illness or allopathic point of view and then a health optimization of view with those two, the acute and the chronic? Yeah. So I think as I kind of alluded to the illness medicine doctors or, or conventional medicine, they diagnose and treat problems or symptoms. So when you go to an illness medicine practitioner, you or like your GP, for example, you're going to them with the, um, the assumption held that there's a problem or that you're looking for a diagnosis. And I think that's an important distinction to make because that leads you to what we would call a sickness behavior or illness behavior. So on the other side of that, just because you are not sick, it doesn't mean that you're healthy. So just because you don't have a broken leg, it doesn't mean that your leg is the most functional leg in the world, like Usain Bolt's, for example, to give an example. And on the other side is of optimizing health, it's knowing that there's this balance of anabolic and catabolic pathways. And there's, there's so many ways to approach health, but the, the reason I really liked and chose health optimization medicine as my framework 
is because it's measurable. So you, you talked about the body as an ecosystem and we truly do see the body as an ecosystem in health optimization medicine. And we call this the hollow biont theory. And if you look in the scientific literature, it's basically a theory that we have our own human cells, but we're constantly interacting with microbes, which are their own cells. We interact with food particles and all of the other things in our environment, which, as you say, contribute to this ecosystem of our functioning total. So you might have heard this concept of the super organism. We're not a super organism because that's almost something that forms, but we're, we're really focused on the individual cells coming together uh, to, to work in this, this enlarged ecosystem. So that's the level we work at. So when we look at health, we measure at the level of the cell. In the future, I imagine that we'll be able to measure at the level of subtle energies or biophysics or all of these other new and interesting fields. In illness medicine, they look at the organ function and the organ level and the organ systems, the ones you talked about, cardiovascular system, the gastrointestinal system. The tests for those systems are based in illness medicine literature in science that looks for a problem. Whereas the test that we use at the cellular level is looking for balance, it's looking for the optimal ranges. And what we do is we look at those every six months and make sure they're in the optimal range for the rest of your life. That's, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because it, it suggests to me that the perception, you know, the subtle mental eyewear that we put in our brain, whether we understand we have it or not, that perception that we're looking through, if it's a bias towards a specialism and an illness model, it's going to predicate and put someone to a place of, well, I've got to solve this problem. You know, I need to solve this pain I have or this uh, ache or this fatigue or whatever the issue is. Whereas you're suggesting from this different approach, we're looking at the chemistry set as such, the balance between all of these particles and all these elements and processes and how they interrelate. And you know, it's interesting, Ed, I, I hear people, we, it's a bit of a done phrase, but you know, people talk about work-life balance. A lot of people I work with work a lot. You know, they're either professionals, they run their own businesses. There's a lot of pressure, you know, the day-to-day -day pressure of doing it. I've got people on my coaching space who are also in the medical profession, including young doctors as well. So I know how hard you guys work in terms of the inputs and the hours. But we talk about balance, and I wonder if it's a misleading concept, as if there should be equilibrium in the left side and the right side and, you know, sleep and wake. And I'm intrigued by a theory more like, David Bomb's approach, and if you know him, he's a theoretical physicist guy. He talks about coherence, and it's a it's a it's a description that really strikes me. Cognitively, we need to be coherent. We need to make sense of things. We need to make sense of what am I listening to? How am I working? What am I doing? But I think coherence in a system feels more circular, more cell-like to me than the more traditional binary this and that. You know, good and bad, healthy or not healthy. I'm ill or I'm not ill. And I'm intrigued to know how might a person deal with, let's come to the sort of the chronic issue, right? We've got, a, we got someone who's stressed and they've got a lot of pressures going on. A medical GP, they've not been able to help for whatever reason. They're, they're not functioning well. They're, they're tired, they're stressed, their body's got issues. How might we look at this with the lens of health optimization that would help that kind of individual? Yeah, so we have lots of tools in health optimization medicine. We have seven pillars, which are... Uh, all different fields of science which are present in the literature but not being applied clinically apart from people like myself. 
And the one tool that we use, and there's papers on this that describe it as the stethoscope of the 21st century, which is called clinical metabolomics, which is this tool that allows us to measure the metabolism in a cell. And it's actually been available for 40 years, but unfortunately it hasn't made it into traditional medical school teaching. So part of my role is to not just educate people that it's available, but educate other doctors that actually it's it's possible. So taking somebody like you'd mentioned as an example, we can measure the metabolites of your neurotransmitters. So serotonin, for example, the metabolite of which can be raised quite highly if you are stressed or if you're not sleeping well. We can look at adrenaline and noradrenaline, which again can be raised in acute stressful situations. We can look at dopamine, which can be depleted if you use certain recreational substances, or it can be low if you find it difficult to focus and have poor attention span. All of these things that people never really considered were possible to measure, we can measure. So I I have plenty of client stories where dopamine metabolites are low, where serotonin is being used at a very high rate. And in conjunction, we see on the testing that certain amino acids so amino acids are the building block for all of these hormones and neurochemicals that we use they come from the protein in our food and i would routinely see depletions in certain amino acids which are required for those neurotransmitters two being tryptophan and tyrosine so knowing that with the testing we can then begin to create i i I also agree that balance is probably not the best term, but we can bring those things into optimal range. So rather than them being deficient and depleted, we can bring them somewhere where they have sufficient or uh, abundant resources to make the things that their body needs to make regardless. And that's why I really like the tool because it works for people who are sick because they may not have the things necessarily to heal, but it also works for people who are pushing towards higher performance who might just be a bit tired or need the extra edge just to put in a few more hours at work. Yeah, intriguing, really intriguing. And dopamine, you, you touch on that. Um, my more limited understanding of dopamine is it's a kind of reward chemical neurotransmitter that kind of essentially says we're, we're doing well. It's a reward uh, signaling system. However, in today's world, we get dopamine spikes left, right and center, particularly with our current social media uh, usage, a lot of technology. And in, in many ways, we're overdoped. <laughs> it's either we're overdoped because there's so much stimulus going on. So if you've got a, let's say, a high stress individual and they aren't sleeping and they've got conditions coming on, perhaps they've got some, uh, some weight gain, all those sorts of things, and, and they're feeling quite, you know, low about themselves. Would you be interested in looking at their, at their inputs as well as their chemicals? So for example, would you get interested in like, okay, so how often do you use your phone? How often are you on social? How, uh, how often do you look at a screen before bed and then look at the markers? Does that how that works? So actually, no. And yes. So the, the beauty for me of health optimization medicine is that there's a whole branch of medicine called lifestyle medicine, which is evolving. But the problem with lifestyle medicine is they don't base their recommendations on objective testing and what we know from conventional medicine that's important is that people like to see tangible changes so by doing the testing first and showing oh here's some markers that we could improve and then 
you start to dig into the other six pillars of health optimization medicine, one of which is chronobiology. We can dig into how well they're sleeping or what methods they're using to sleep, all of the sleep hygiene, anything that goes along with that. Take control of those and then within those six months, we can start to make those necessary changes and then on the repeat testing, we can start to see that they're making a difference. Because I think the problem for a lot of people is they don't have a framework on which to make changes from. And people go, quite rightly in some cases, people have traditionally always trusted doctors as a good source of information. And without an unbiased framework, I think you you sometimes get biased advice. So if we have this unbiased framework, which is here are all your metabolites across all of these different areas of your life, here's some lifestyle interventions or dietary modifications or reasons to deal and manage your stress better, then people can jump on board more easily and they can make those changes with more motivation and discipline, which is the thing that is lacking in the modern day, as you say, because we have all of these things that make tasks much easier. We have social media that gives us those dopamine hits far too easily without having to go through the hardship which kind of leads on to the conversations and fasting and cold water plunging and all of those things that allow you to kind of regain control of your dopamine system. Let's say a client comes to me and they generally the things we're working on, something isn't working in their life. Yeah? So whatever the topic is, whatever the expression is, something isn't working. And that normally comes out to a, an experience that they will, will think about. You know, I've got so much pressure with my business or I've got some real pressures at home and work. Uh, and I just can't take it, I can't see another way. A lot of the issues start in the in the conceptual world, the cognitive world, and a lot of it can be perception. As you've already very nicely alluded to the difference between how children look at a picture in the East and the West. So we already have a cultural bias around our perception. But if the perception is like, you know, I have to be this or I have to be that, this is a, a big one that comes up time and time again in my coaching practice. And we, you know, you can call it binary thinking or digital thinking. It's either this or it's that. And, and I had an old teacher long ago and they were like, okay, well, let's just look at the thinking style. So meta thinking, thinking about thinking, because if we're trying to change the problem with the same thinking style, we're not really going to change. We're staying within that domain. So one of the things I look at is how we change perception. So it's quite a cognitive thing. We have to think differently, but humans are rational. We, we like to have high level thinking. That's what we can do. And when we shift perception, that's a really key thing. Because I notice it's often the block. It's like the sort of the doorway or the block between that person reaching out to someone like me or someone like you and saying, hey, I need to, I want to do something different. Or versus they go, as a human does, back into their brain and go, oh, what do I know? Oh, I go to the doctor. Oh, I'm struggling. What do I do? I go to the pub. You know, unhelpful practices that maybe just not helping them go forward. So how do we help individuals and perhaps people in different, both the doctors and, and individuals that might come to them, how do we help people shift that perception already from the view that we have to the view that we really want to be looking forward for 21st century medicine? It's a really good point. It kind of speaks to this idea that we have bottom-up processes and top-down processes that are happening in what we call the hierarchies of our nervous system, which basically in simple terms, means that important things get dealt with first and then less important things hopefully get dealt with last in a healthy system. Uh, you have a good model of the world. So when we think about the hierarchies of the nervous system, actually the, the base layer is the one that regulates uh, your heart and your heartbeats and your blood vessels. 
and there's there's seven or eight hierarchies but that's the one at the bottom so if there's any issues with your heart that's the one that is going to cause you to have the biggest response initially because your brain goes we need the heart to pump blood around our body if it doesn't do that we stop working Mm. as the brain so this is where if the cells of the heart aren't working if the mitochondria which are the energy producing batteries of the heart aren't working if the electrolytes in the blood are off if the ph of the body the acidity is too high you're going to get a really strong sense of anxiety if they're subtly different you might get anxiety but you might blame it on a cognitive reason you might blame it on a social reason so that's why i always work with clients from the bottom up as well as the top down perspective and the top down is this idea that we can change our physiology through our beliefs and again i i would agree with you on that side as well because the top hierarchy of the nervous system is this thing called the default mode network and that's where we keep the autobiographical self-talk essentially the seat of the ego but really it's the the referential system by which we address ourselves in our own head and it's where we tell ourselves the story about ourselves and dr says dr ted says this is generally a mentor and i like to think doctor in that sentence can't really give you any new information but they can change your perception on the thing that you're talking about so i think coming at it from both sides is always going to be better than just focusing on one and if so i always like the quote that if you're if you don't have time to meditate then you need to i can't remember specifically there you need to meditate for an extra hour or or whatever (laughs) i'm too busy to relax like you definitely need to relax then (laughs) yeah that's that's really good and so talk about the nervous system this is a a space which i I work with to some degree when i talk about emotional regulation with a person you know and uh, and it's really curious because a lot of the time if you work with someone who's very intelligent as i often do there's a lot of thinking going on a bias towards thinking Uh, and and hands up i I can bias myself to spend a lot of time in my thinking space as well it's (laughs) My brain likes to do thinking, but we come into the emotional realm. That's in many ways for me, it's like the color palette that tells us what those thoughts are. It adds color and texture and shape, you know, whether I feel good about myself or bad about myself or my performance is up or down. The emotion is in in many ways a gauge to simplify it, right? A gauge of how we're doing, what's going on in the world. But that kind of biases and comes into the molecules. And I remember Dr. Candice Pert's work around the all emotions are a chemical base and they they sort of flow around our body system and they tell the body and the brain what's going on and this really intrigues me because it's so easy to get caught up in emotions are a thought-based thing you know and as a as a man i've brought up in a culture where there's still patriarchy and that you should be a certain way and you shouldn't be a certain way and that's still pervasive now you know this kind of uh, social rules which are everywhere but emotions are really of the body aren't they right they're, they're, they are biochemicals and they are but also experiencing the mind the more abstract realm when we think about emotional regulation i use breathwork a lot because breathwork as we know is the one of the ins to go in and touch the autonomic nervous system the, the bit that runs itself from heart rate to, to breathing to, to blood pressure and we can change the rate of breathing the type of breathing all these things that affect how we physically feel and emotionally feel What's your, what's your input when you're working on the emotional side of a person? So someone's coming on, there's a lot of emotional drama or a lot of emotional pain or something like that. How might your health optimization approach look at that, let's say, that aspect of, of a person? 
Yeah, so one of the pillars, my favorite pillar, is evolutionary medicine, which basically takes the concepts of how did we evolve, how did we become how we are in the past, and how far away have we got from that now, and what aspects of that can we bring into now to to help you optimize your health. And one of the realms that that touches on is this thing called the cell danger response, which going back to our idea that the human is an ecosystem of cells, the cell danger response is the way that any single cell responds to a traumatic event in the environment. So it can be physical, it can be chemical, it can be psychological, it can be emotional, difficult to comprehend on a single cell level. But when you have lots of cells interacting with, with each other, and as you say, passing around these molecules between them, you can begin to see how even something that happened at such a small level, if it was a physical trauma, could manifest something at the emotional level. And the interesting thing about this is that in chronic diseases, this cell danger response persists. So a lot of the work in trauma therapy, for example, is realizing that you can have the con- you, you can have the same response to a stimulus, even if that stimulus has been removed years ago. So almost like a PTSD bat at the cellular level. And by dealing with the cell danger response, i.e. there's lots of nodes, lots of ways that we can influence that through testing in, uh, and detecting and correcting these imbalances at the cellular level, we can almost begin to peel away the emotional layers that are hiding beneath, which are held in the memories of our cells, which we call epigenetics, which we call metabolism. There's different types of metabolism. And I think in the future, we will see that it's actually in the water that's held inside our cells and held inside our muscles in particular, and maybe even the neurons and parts of our brain that are storing these memories, these emotional memories. So another pillar of health optimization memory at medicine is bioenergetics. So this is the idea that we can produce energy and we can move energy around our body. And it sounds a bit spiritual, but really is we are moving energy around us like we would move glucose or lactate or some of these other things that are produced by stress or by the foods that we eat. And in working with my friend Richard Aceves, we have begun to see this picture of the body from the perspective of the nervous system and the muscles in that emotional traumas, for example, or physical traumas can be stored and trapped in the body and doing things like breath work with rhythmic muscle contractions in a safe environment can begin to allow people to express these stored memories of the past in a subconscious way in some cases some cases it's a conscious way somebody might start crying or laughing and for me it's been one of the it's it's something more on the fringe of things that i like to talk about but i think it's something of the future i think the work that you do combining these elements in a holistic model is is hopefully how the better practitioners of, of the future are going to be practicing because as soon as you isolate one thing away from the rest, for example, isolate the physical away from the emotional, then you're, you're creating your own form of suppression, which is, as you know, is probably going to come back and get you in the future in some way or another. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, I've had my, my own journey with autoimmune and it's been, it's been a long journey to share with that expression and, uh, 
and I've done the work, right? So I've done the medical work. Uh, I've done that process. I've done the spiritual work. I've done things from all the different arts, from acupuncture to shiatsu, all different things. And it's a curious thing because it was more recent times. I was looking at work by Gabal Mate, who's really a specialist in trauma. He tells of his own journey and a lot of work he's done with many, many people. And it's curious. He really talks that as about most autoimmune conditions as having a basis in trauma of some kind. And I, and I want to expand because we talk about trauma and the word, if we don't really know it, we're not close, it can seem like this terrible thing. And, and it can be, for some people, it can be horrible. Uh, and it's called big T trauma. You know, it could be violence, sexual assault, could be attack, could be in an earthquake, something like that. But small T trauma, and it, small T trauma really intrigues me. It's something I've seen time and time again in my practice when I'm coaching someone. And it could be years of perhaps indifference by a parent, perhaps, whether they meant it or not is not, is not the issue. But if the experience for the young child was they didn't get seen, they didn't get heard, didn't get picked for the football club or whatever the thing was, and it lays down this imprint in, in the, in the human system, you know, psychologically, emotionally, physically, then we've got, we've got a response. And, and my origin to autoimmune expression was, was a traumatic event, was early teens and I was in a changing school scenario. Uh, I won't elaborate on the whole story, but it was a very difficult time on multiple levels. And what I find intriguing when we're young, we don't have any knowledge. You know, we don't have the right knowledge systems to deal with this if we, if we don't have the right parental or, you know, family systems. And we just figure it out rightly or wrongly, encode it unconsciously, and then have to live with that stuff. And what really intrigues and what I find exciting about your work and work like this is that it says, you don't have to go down a long-term chronic route of using medicine. There are multiple fields that can address, let's say, the autoimmune expression. And it needs understanding from a physical, a biochemical, an emotional, perhaps a trauma. And when we hear that, for me, it's about empowerment. It's about, because I don't, I, I, I don't agree with the word disease. I don't call it a disease. I call it a condition. That's my term. And, it's, and while I'm not arguing that it is a disease, my understanding, I have to call it a condition an expression because when I'm up, I'm in a really good state. If I'm stressed by some particular reason, it can express. And that's my own journey with it. And when we think about this sort of you know, uh, example, how might your work deal with someone like me who comes along and says, oh, you know, I've got this, I've got this uh, you know, bowel disease issue and blah, blah, blah. And you know, I'm taking these meds. How might you come and, and treat, to use want of a better word, or address perhaps. <laughs> Treat is still what to do with the illness part. How might you address and look at that from your perspective if someone does have a chronic condition, say an autoimmune condition? Yeah, I think I, I really like, so I have two facets, but I really like the testing. So the clinical metabolomics testing in health optimization medicine is almost the gateway. So I've had friends ask me to do the testing they haven't really said why, but they're just interested, which is fine for me because the more people that, that go through the process, the more I learn, the more they learn, the more somebody um, learns and somebody earns money as well, which is all good. The, it's, a, it's a gateway to the emotions. It's a gateway to talking about other things because when you see the neurotransmitters are off, then you can open up the conversations. Have you been feeling a certain way? How have you been feeling down? And in doing so, you also remove the stigma because you can show somebody on a piece of paper why they might have been feeling down. I know you asked me more about a physical health condition, but I think those inflammatory conditions can also make you feel down 
psychologically and and actually part of the work i'm doing in my phd relates to psychiatry and how the immune system and and psychology intersect so that's that side of things and then even on so this has been apparent to me actually in the last few days so i went to uh, richard's movement ayahuasca retreat last march april time and the movement ayahuasca retreat which i've been involved in subsequently to that is essentially it's a breathing and movement progression over a few days which is guided by richard who has built this library of movements being linked to specific traumas and what it does again it peels away the layers to allow you to see it's a bigger picture going back to the fishbowl you can see the fishbowl of your life as opposed to just being the fish in it and it it poses you with certain questions about why you do certain things and at the time i remember him asking me a question after one of the workouts was who are you doing it for and recently even the last few days i've i've noticed that i've stopped being so regimented with going to the gym and recently I've, I've found some really good connections to all of the muscles in my body. And as that's happened, as my thinking has evolved through that, I've passed through several barriers subconsciously. And one of them was the realization that I started physical training for somebody else. I didn't do it for me. It was an emotional trigger that led me to want to be physically more attractive. And I think that is the, just like your story with the autoimmune condition, it's coming back to these small t traumas in our life and realizing that was the start of a long chain of events that led me to where I am now. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I'm very happy that that happened because I probably wouldn't have got into the whole field that I am in now. And looking back on it, I can then start to help more people with the same problem. So the, the movement and the breath work and the nervous system side combined with the cellular side really seems to peel away these layers, which allows you to, without stigma, look at these aspects of our lives that are normal to us. That's how we're living. But we can start to question why they're happening and what we can do to change them if the goal is to change them. Because I think it's hard for me to sell my service if somebody doesn't want to change because... I mean, I don't want to help them if they don't want to change because hopefully if they don't want to change, everything's great. But if somebody's stuck with a condition that they think, maybe there's something more to this. Maybe it's not just a diagnosis. Maybe it's not just a label that I have to live with. There's plenty of stones that can be turned over and it's usually up to you how many of them you want to turn over, how quickly, how big or how small, but there's always something to do. So I, I think the having these two arms and starting with one or the other, which one's most acceptable to a person, and as you say, even just breathing properly is a good way to start getting better signals from your body and your surroundings and your environment, and life becomes easier because you have more oxygen to, to live with. <laughs> yeah, and it makes me think of my sort of yoga masters who would say, well, you know, the breath is energy, and there's some fascinating stories around um, uh, yogis literally living for a year without ever consuming anything other than air, and, and people apparently have watched them and so. And, and allegedly, it's happened. Now, of course, I wasn't there. I'm not sure on the stories, but there is a lot about in this level, a proper yogi level, that they can manipulate energy, the energy that's that's in the air, and 
And for those of us who don't really know this, it could, that can sound a bit um, fantastical and a bit esoteric, but I think if we drop into science, and I'm, I'm, you know, I, I drop into a lot of spaces, I don't know them all that well, but thermodynamics, the first rule of thermodynamics is that energy can't be destroyed or it can only be changed in its form. And we talk about that, right? If you eat a certain, you eat food, it turns into the cells of the body, like protein synthesis. And if you consume something else, if you consume digital media or visual images, that goes into imprints in the mind. So we know the energy exchanges on a, on a day-to-day level. I think we just need to understand, of, I think straddling the language is a really important one for me. And you touch on such a good point, Ed. You've got to want to change. You've got to want it. And what I think fascinates uh, and uh, distresses me in equal measure is that certainly in, in, in the UK, so our culture, is we wait till it's absolutely dire, particularly emotionally and psychologically, before we reach out. And for men, it's, it's more common than not, certainly men at my age, I'm midlife, that reaching out is seen as a failure. So we have all this story narrative about going to a person. And then, of course, I, I speak to people and I say, well, you know, if your car broke, you wouldn't just keep driving up and down the road with all the red lights flashing. <laughs> go to the garage, right? If, you can, if your Mac breaks, you don't go, oh, I'll just keep hitting it. You, you go to the Mac store and go get it fixed. But it's curious when the mind starts to... Uh, not work well, or your emotional world's not work, or your body. Isn't it curious how we've got this almost unconscious way of being? To well, let's just keep going as we are, and not change until we get to a tipping point. And I think health optimization it makes me think about prevention rather than cure as well. You know, much much more uh, financially better, health better, mind better. If we can prevent something rather than have to go through it. That's that's a win win on every level. And I'm wondering how. What's your perception so far working with individuals and, and people? How have you met that challenge of like, we'll wait till it's really, really bad before we come and see someone, as opposed to the story I heard about the medical doctors in the East, like the Ayurveda doctor, that the Ayurveda doctor doesn't get paid if you're unwell because they haven't done the job properly. They only get paid to keep you well. And of course, our culture is the other way around. We, we only see the doctor when we are ill. How, how have you been addressing this this? big hurdle this cultural hurdle that we've got yeah i mean i think i think it comes from the conventional medical system here being that you only turn up when you have a problem and i think if you know that you have a problem you're you're afraid of that problem and even i like it when people use the term prevention because it it almost allows me to disagree because for me it's not even a prevention because that's looking through the lens of the disease scope still it's, it's an optimization. And because of the approach of health optimization is that it's like taking your car to get an MOT in a service. Waiting for something to break down, we're ensuring that it's not going to break down. It doesn't matter if you're already a bit broken, we can still work with that. So re- regardless of who you are, every six months, at least you come and have your, your MOT done, which puts the emphasis back almost back on on me as opposed to on you so you turn up and and i'll make sure everything's okay it's a challenge i sound mainly so one of the first clients i had was a a fairly highish profile ceo of a large health tech company in the uk and they were referred to me as the uk equivalent of peter attia which was quite nice high praise at the time. Now I'm not so sure. I think maybe I might have uh, superseded his, his approach 
perhaps we'll we'll wait and see but this client wanted to live to 100 years old because of their business goals so they went to their nhs gp who laughed at them they went to a private gp in london who said well that's not our job we deal with disease and i think laughed at them as well so that they found me so having those type of clients who have those grand goals really helps because they know that they have to outsource as entrepreneurs do and business owners do they know how they have to outsource the things that they're not familiar with or that they don't want to manage so it's those type of people that i've started to work with and a good friend of mine elliot wise who started this business called limitless university which is almost like an antithesis to conventional education and so he saw the parallels between what i'm doing and what he's doing and now we're we're building a really i mean it is a it's a high-end service for the type of people that want to change the world in some way and they don't want to have to worry about their health so that has graciously fallen at my feet purely because there's not many other people in the uk that are doing this i'm the first and i think still only fully qualified health optimization medicine practitioner in the uk there's various others in different countries, but yeah, it, it's, it's certainly a challenge. And when I have to put my illness medicine hat back on, I, I do get frustrated at times with being met with, well, we can't do that because there's no evidence base for it, which means there's no illness medicine base for it in my vocabulary. And at some point, somebody has to push the needle forwards. And when I, I know you're listeners are more on the entrepreneurial side they know that sometimes you have to make steps outside of what is currently known and take these risks because if nobody did it then we would never have innovation and progress i think i answered your question yeah, in a roundabout yeah, way nicely. and you're right it's i work with people who yes yeah, so normally either running their own business have a business of some kind or director level something of that normally in that kind of space and and yeah, for sure, it's like if you don't know how to do digital marketing, you're, a, let's say, a product company, you, you're hiring that service, you get the specialists in around that, so they make that work, and, and they make it work as part of a, of a business system. And of course, you know, businesses, well, there are a lot of businesses that are changing, so we have to be careful of sort of broad striking, but you know, the old model of business was to make profit, and that's fundamentally what it was. There's a lot of new business now which want to make an impact, a healthy impact. There's a lot of businesses which align up with B Corp, and, and doing good work, really, really good work. What's what's coming to my mind? I wanted to ask you is, so we got the perception thing. We we know that's probably a challenge, and for me, it feels like an important conversation. Hence, the podcast It's an important conversation to spread and illuminate and to pull down the veil. You know, this is such a big thing. The amount of veils I've had pulled down in my mind by a privilege of people I've been trained with and masters and that. It's like wow. I really wish I knew this stuff 20, 30 years ago. <laughs> My life would have been very different. But hey, you know, that, that's the thing, right? Knowledge is this beautiful energy that you can't hold it. You need to share it. That's, that's why I do what I do. I love to share knowledge. What I'm wondering as well is that this, once we get, if we get over this hurdle of, about, okay, well, let's look at it from a performance point of view. Let's look at it from outsourcing to the right way of being. How do we deal with, I said, one thing I really want to touch on is how do we deal with the physical? So I have this kind of thing, as you and I both know, we, we both train and we've trained together over many years and fitness and physical uh, experience is wonderful. Uh, I was only saying to a client recently about, I spend a lot of time in high level thinking 
And yet I love nothing more than to push a prowl, like a heavy piece of metal up and down the gym with as much weight as I can possibly move and to be absolutely knackered afterwards. And they were quite intrigued by this. And, and my experience was, well, look, I like to be absolutely embodied and a really strong practice, like moving something heavy or carrying something absolutely grounds me in that animalistic experience, that base experience. And yet then I might read something very, very profound and deep and go into thermodynamics, existentialism, psychology, whatever I'm interested in that day, as I like to straddle the spaces. So how are you seeing the physicals? I know how much physical work you've done with, with me and people we work with. How are you bringing the physical component, which a lot of people might call as exercise, I term it as broadly as movement and nuances of movement, but how are we bringing that part of it into the work you're doing? Yeah, I think I'll go here because you'll be able to talk to me about this, but the we have nerve plexuses in our body, in the nervous system. So they there's a plexus of nerves in the neck called the cervical plexus, where the thyroid gland is. There's the pituitary gland. There's the pineal gland, which is some uh, cultures would call the third eye because that's what it evolved from. Reptiles that had a third eye, it involuted into the head. There's the celiac plexus, which controls all of the gut. There's the, the pelvic nerves, the lumbosacral plexus. And all of these plexi, plexuses of nerves, of which there's, there's seven, they happen to all be associated with one or two hormones that are produced or neuro. And they also happen to correlate with the chakras from the yogic traditions or the energy centers from more spiritual traditions. Uh, to me, the words are mostly irrelevant, but we have these seven centers in our body that have a chemical element. And from the work of the spiritual guides, they have a, an emotional element to them. And I think when you spend a lot of time in your head, which is these kind of the higher level chakras, so to speak, higher energy centers, then for me, everything is in looking for imbalances and detecting and correcting imbalances and deficiencies and weaknesses and subtle toxicities. So you can fill your head with useless information, as you said, news, etc. You can fill it with important information, but you also need to address the other parts of your body. So the physical element would be you need blood flow and neural output to the other chakras. So you need to use your glutes in a primal way. You need to use the abdomen to breathe either aggressively or diaphragmatically you need to use your chest to connect to your heart essentially to uh, feel pride and joy and you need to going back to the conversation that you led into earlier to do with energy I, I i do believe those old stories of the yogis being able to survive without food because the science now says that in the presence of of red and infrared light we can basically make energy in our body without food so when you start to bring in these different elements of quantum physics quantum entanglement the really newest areas of science that unfortunately at the moment aren't measurable which is why we're not using them in health optimization medicine there there's there's always going to be a, a different solution that you'd never thought about in the first place that might be helpful to the position or the condition that you find yourself in. Nicely put. Yes, absolutely. Yes, the chakras, I've, the yoga uh, field that I spend a lot of time in. Yes, you look at chakras, you look at what's going on with a person and, and the overlay is fascinating. Yes, that, that what's going on with the body, 
Uh, uh, what I love for, for what you're saying is, and it seems to me that there's such a, almost such a validation of what so much of the, what one might call the, the Eastern arts, the ancient understandings and principles that, that feels like it's being validated by science. And curiously, us Westerners, we, we kind of need the science. We want the metrics. And we're like, how does that work? <laughs> how, how can breath just be energy? But once you speak to a thermodynamicist, they go, oh, okay, fine. Well, I get this. So what, it feels like we need to interpret this in a Western concept for, for our culture. The basis has always been there about energy, about bodies, about equilibrium, about ecosystem. And yeah. So it's a very important thing. It feels like it's coming up to date now that we're actually tapping back into ancient wisdom with perhaps new and quite fascinating, wonderful modern tools to play with them. Yeah. Ed, I'd, I'd like to, sorry. to kind of summarize a little bit here because I know we could talk in depth about a myriad of fields. But if we kind of cycle back to our original intent was to express and perhaps share to, to everyone around the distinction between, you called it illness medicine, you know, traditional medicine, uh, and there's more health optimized approach, or what I might call an ecosystem approach about how to work with a person. What's, what kind of last thoughts would you want uh, our listeners to, to kind of really kind of understand or take on to make it valuable for them about how they might deal with common situation, sleep issues, stress issues, emotional challenges, uh, body issues, the, the things that we all have in one nuance or another. How what what's your what's your take about some things that you would you'd really like to impart for the listeners to understand that they can empower themselves? Yeah. So I always say this and people I never know if they take me seriously or not, but eighty percent of the health problems that you might have can come back down to circadian rhythms. Circadian rhythms are these things that regulate the cycles in our life. So the most common one being the day-night cycle. If you can consistently see the sunrise or the sunset every day for the rest of your life, most things will get better. We know that the gene which controls your pain tolerance is produced downstream of sunlight. We know that the genes which control stress are produced downstream of sunlight. We know the genes that are produced downstream of sunlight also control your blood sugar. They can have an impact on autoimmunity in your immune system. They're all essentially controlled by one thing, and that's light through your eyes and on your skin, and that's natural light. So first thing I'll say is if you're not already worshipping the sun in some way, I would recommend that. Obviously, do it safely. I would say ask an expert. I don't really know who the experts on that are because if you ask conventional medicine, usually they'll tell you not to get the sun and to take a vitamin D supplement, which is my the biggest bugbear. I still work in that field. There is a safe way to do it because we need to raise our vitamin D naturally. And the second thing I'll say is I the, the longer I've worked with clients, the biggest thing is trust. So if you are struggling with something, don't feel like you need to look for the expert in that thing. Go to the person that you would trust to help you first. If you can build a really good relationship with them and begin to trust them on that thing, then that's where your journey can begin. If you have the intention that you're willing to change or move past the, the situation that you find yourself in and you can find somebody that you trust to help you do that, that's all that's necessary. The rest can come down the line as you begin to trust more and more people. Because I think 
in the new age of AI, then trusting another human is going to be one of the biggest things for your health journey. So yeah, we can, we can use AI probably to do all of the fun systemic testing and mathematical algorithms at some point, but you need to find somebody that you, you trust to do that with you and for you and for your future. Beautifully put. I love it. Absolutely love it. It's a conversation I've had more and more about the human interaction needed more and more and more nowadays, and it's actually less and less and less. So it's beautiful. And of course, the, the light on your skin, in your eyes, the right time of day, wonderful. So good. Ed, you are a deep font of knowledge. I always enjoy yeah, speaking with you about this stuff. I really appreciate your, your time, your thoughts, for sharing us around the distinctions around the different types of medicine, different types of health what you're working with it's a really exciting field and uh for for uh so for my dear listener uh we'll put ed's contact details in the show notes um uh, we'll put some other details if uh, ed you want any references that you think are useful yeah there's one thing i'd like to add if i'm allowed please so my friend elliot who who runs limitless university has just started this thing called the monday morning huddle and you were talking about the importance of good information so this is basically the antithesis to mainstream news. Every, every Monday morning at 7 a.m. is a big Zoom call. Anybody's welcome. And it's all positivity. And it's just a way to build a community, start to trust new people, and hear success stories as opposed to turning on the news and hearing about something that I can't be bothered to talk about. So yeah, I, I think start there uh, I love if it. you want to find me. <laughs> what a great way to start the week. Uh, again, Ed, uh, we'll, we'll put that uh, in the show notes, the links in the show notes to get to that. I shall be joining that some uh, as soon as I can. That sounds amazing. So, Ed, thank you for your time, your input. It's always good to see you. My dear listener, I trust there is plenty you have gleaned from this episode. And um, there's a lot of technical parts in it. So you may need to go back and kind of listen to and understand it. I encourage you to do so. Your health is your wealth, as the yoga masters that have taught me always reminded me when I wasn't paying attention. So... I trust that wealth will go with you. Until the next time, take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe. And if a friend would benefit from hearing this, do send it on to them as well. If you would like to get in touch yourself, then you can go to my website, which is saljeffries.com, spelled S-A-L-J-E-F-F-E-R-I-E-S saljeffries.com hit the get in touch link and there you can send me a direct message if you'd like to go one step further and learn whether coaching could help you overcome a challenge or a block in your life then do reach out and i offer a call where we can discuss how this may be able to help you until the next time take care